This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Well, here we are in the last week of September. As I remember saying at the beginning of the month, where's the time go? So, tonight's show dates back to 1945. What happened that year? Well, some of the major news stories include the good news that the war in Europe ends on May 7th. Adolf Hitler and his wife of one day, Eva Braun, commit suicide. Following effects from polio as a young man, President Roosevelt died on April 12th of 1945. President Harry S. Truman orders the use of the new nuclear bombs developed by Robert Oppenheimer's team. The first an atomic bomb that was nicknamed Little Boy was dropped in Hiroshima, Japan. And after the second atomic bomb, nicknamed Fat Man, over the city of Nagasaki, five days later, they surrendered on August 14th. In Germany, concentration camps were liberated. William Joyce, known as Lord Haha, is captured. He's later charged with high treason in London for his English-language wartime broadcasts on German radio. He's hanged in January of 1946. And on the entertainment front, your lucky hit parade was broadcast for the very first time. If you were headed for the movies, the marquees would be showing the popular films Anchors Away, The Pale Face, and National Velvet. Technology rears its ugly head when Percy Spencer accidentally discovers that microwaves can heat food. And in 1945, only 5,000 homes have television sets. On radio, one of the most popular shows was The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, starring Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce. Now, I had always assumed wrongly that Basil Rathbone was an Englishman. Actually, he was born in South Africa and later rose to prominence in the United Kingdom as a Shakespearean stage actor and went on to appear in more than 70 films, primarily costume dramas, swashbucklers, and occasional horror films. Rathbone frequently portrayed suave villains or morally ambiguous characters such as Mr. Murdstone in David Copperfield in 1935, Sir Guy of Gisborne in The Adventures of Robin Hood, 38. But his most famous role was heroic, that of Sherlock Holmes in 14 Hollywood films made between 1939 and 1946, and, of course, in a radio series. He had several roles on Broadway, receiving a Tony Award in 1948 as Best Actor in a Play. He was nominated for two Academy Awards and won three stars in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Nigel Bruce, who played Dr. Watson, has a Canadian connection. In October of 1920, he came to Canada as stage manager to Henry V. Esmond and Eva Moore, also playing Montague Jordan in Eliza Comes to Stay. Upon returning to England, he toured acting the same part. He appeared constantly on stage thereafter. A perfect foil for Rathbone's Sherlock Holmes, we now join him to hear The Mendicant Society. Petri Wine brings you Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invite you to listen to Dr. Watson tell about another exciting adventure he shared with that master detective, his old friend Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Now for our weekly visit with the genial Dr. Watson. Good evening, Doctor. Good evening, Mr. Foreman. Come in and settle yourself down. Thank you. You're looking particularly comfortable tonight, Doctor. Feet up on the sofa and the puppies asleep on your lap. Yes, my boy. The three of us went for a long walk on the beach this afternoon. 
Monty and Winnie had a running battle with the seagulls. In consequence, they've been fast asleep ever since we got home. Oh, I hope you're not too tired, Doctor. I'm counting on a new Sherlock Holmes story, you know. No, 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 I'm all ready for you, Mr. Foreman. In fact, I was going through my notes on the case just before you arrived. Well, last week you told us it concerned a strange society who held their meetings in an underground vault of a furniture warehouse. Yeah, that's right, my boy. Now, down, Winnie. Get down, Monty. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. The story really began one stormy November night in 1887. I was married at the time and living away from Baker Street. On this night in question, my wife had already gone to bed and I was nodding in front of the fire over one of Clark Russell's fine sea stories. I'd had a very tiring day, I remember. It was about the hour that a man gives his first yawn and glances at the clock, when suddenly my front doorbell jangled discordantly. Oh, our servant Edna had gone up to bed, so I crossed to the window and opened it. It was uh, very dark, but I could just see the outline of a figure standing on my doorstep. It looked like a woman. Suddenly, a, a cultivated voice called up to me. Is the doctor in? Uh, yes, madam. Uh, I'm the doctor. Then please come at once. It's a matter of life and death. I have a carriage waiting. Me. Oh, all right, all right. I'll, I'll be down immediately. I closed the window, scribbled a note to my wife, grabbed my coat and hat and my bag, and a few minutes later I stepped out of the front door and closed it behind me. The carriage was standing at the curb, but I couldn't see any trace of the lady who'd called me. The only person in sight was an old and repulsive-looking bigger woman, dressed in rags and tatters. After a moment of bewilderment, I spoke. Uh, my, my good woman, did you see a lady leave here a moment ago? No, Doctor, she didn't leave. She's still waiting for you. Oh, oh forgive me, madam, but uh, those clothes are yours. I, I thought you were a beggar woman. There isn't any time to discuss that now. Please get in this carriage. Oh, but uh, where, where's the driver? I'm going to drive. Please get in. Oh, well, very well, well. It's only business. Uh... Are you sure that you can handle those horses, madam? Of course I can. Well, I wish you'd tell me the way you're, you're driving, ma'am. Please don't ask me any more questions, doctor. You'll find out soon enough. Thank heavens we've finally reached our destination. Must have driven halfway across London. Oh, hello, hello. Must be somewhere down near the river. No dwelling places here. Nothing but enormous warehouses. Uh, why have we stopped here, madam? Well, this is where we're going. Please follow me down these steps. I wish you'd tell me where you're taking me. We have a, a club here in the basement. See for yourself in the moment. Hmm, a very solid-looking door. How do you propose to get past it? I'll show you. Oh, it must be a very secret club of yours, madam. It is, Doctor. Who knocks? Number seven. Give the password. To the lanterns. You may enter. Follow me, Doctor. Madam, I do wish you'd tell me where you're taking me. This looks like the entrance to an opium den or a thieves' kitchen. Don't worry, Doctor. You're in no danger. There. Does that look like a thieves' kitchen? Great Scott, I don't believe my eyes. A luxuriously furnished room. What a strange collection of people. Some look like beggars, others in full evening dress. Amazing. Uh, number seven. Who is this man? He's a doctor. I went to fetch him. I thought I said there would be no strangers inside. Now look here, my good man. I've been extremely patient, but my temper's beginning to wear a little thin. Either let me see your patient at once or show me out. My time's valuable and I don't propose to waste it. I'm sorry, doctor. Where is Julian? He's in the back room. And if you know what's good for you, doctor, whatever you call yourself... 
You'll forget everything you see in here. Stop threatening me, sir. I'm not the least interested in your blasted club. Just take me to the patient. Ah. This is the man we want you to examine, Doctor. Hmm? What happened? He fell down the stairs leading into the club room. Well, why'd you move him? We wanted him to be comfortable. It's the worst thing in the world you could have done. Never, never move a person with an injured skull. Is he... Is he going to be all right, Doctor? No, madam, I'm afraid he isn't. His neck's broken. He's dead. Huh? Julian, dead. You sure of that, Doctor? Of course I'm sure of it, my good man. I'm afraid you need an undertaker, not a doctor. Well, we must tell the others. All right, quiet, everybody. Quiet. Quiet. Julian is dead. Julian? Julian dead? Oh, this is terrible. Who is this man? He's a doctor. We'd better get him out of here at once. We don't want any strangers nosing about. That's right. Shouldn't have brought him here anyway. Now, just a minute, just a minute. I assure you, ladies and gentlemen, I haven't the slightest desire to stay here one moment longer. If you direct me to the door again, madam, I'll try to find a cab myself in this godforsaken district and go home. Show him out and give him his money. Follow me, please. I'm delighted to. Do you mind if I don't drive you home, Doctor? Oh, no, I should prefer it. My nerves aren't in the best of shape. You mustn't be angry with me, Doctor, please. Leaving again, number seven. No, but this gentleman is. Will you see if you can find a cab for him? Right. To whom shall I send in my bill, madam? Oh, here's a five-pound note. That should cover your time and trouble, shouldn't it? No, 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 no. It's, it's far too much, madam. No, Doctor, it's late at night and it hasn't been a very pleasant case for you. Please take it. Oh, it's very kind of you. Very generous indeed. But by the way... Uh, how did you happen to, to come to me in the first place? I was driving about looking for a doctor, and a policeman directed me to your house. Oh, I see. I have found a cab for you. Uh, thank you, my man. Thank you. Oh, doctor, may I come round in the morning for a death certificate? Of course, of course. You remember my address? Yes, but I don't know your name. Uh, Watson. Uh, Dr. Watson. Dr. Watson? Not, not the Dr. Watson who's associated with Sherlock Holmes. Oh, <laughs> That is that you know of me. Good night, Doctor. And please forget about everything you've seen. Well, upon my soul, what an amazing business. Holmes will be interested to hear about this. And that's the way it was, Holmes. One of the most curious adventures I ever had without you. Very interesting, Watson. You say this underground cellar was luxuriously furnished. Mm. Yes, and the people there were an amazing mixture. Some were in rags and some in evening dress. Huh, like the nursery rhyme, eh? Some in rags and some in tags and some in velvet gowns. Exactly. Give me the feeling that I was taking part in a story out of the Arabian Nights. I must say, though, I was pretty angry at the time. However, after a good night's rest, I, I feel quite differently this morning. But I thought I'd just drop round and tell you all about it. I'm glad you did, my dear fellow. It would be interesting to see if any repercussions of your strange adventure reaches. Oh, I doubt it. The woman seemed frightened to death when I mentioned your name. We shall see. Meanwhile, I'm expecting a client. You're not too busy. Perhaps you can stay. No, I'd like to very much. Uh, who is it? You know? telegram will tell you much more than I can. Arrived an hour ago. Let's have a look. Be at your lodgings this morning to discuss our problem. Signed, AMS. <laughs> Pretty high-handed message. Be at your lodgings. Oh, please. <laughs> what do you suppose AMS stands for? I was just trying with that problem when you arrived. Could it be the uh, American Medical School? No, no, there's no such body. It's the American Medical Association. Oh, yes, 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 yes. The course, imperious yes, yes. Uh, a tone of the message inclines me to believe that the A stands for amateur. Very possibly. Amateur Masker Society. Or uh, the amateur murderers. <laughs> that would be a nice thought, wouldn't it? Mm. Ah. That is their representative now, no doubt, to save us further guesswork. Holmes, it looks like the same carriage as I drove in last night. The girl standing on your doorstep dressed in the height of fashion. Mrs. Hudson's letting her in. Splendid. 
It seems that we have not heard the end of your adventure. Go and meet the lady at the top of the stairs, will you, Walsh? Up and save Mrs. Hudson's lake. Right you are, huh? Thank you, Mrs. Hudson. Thank you. All right, uh, come in, madam. Want to come in? Thank you, Dr. Watson. Mr. Sherlock Holmes. At your service, madam. Won't you, uh, won't you sit down? I'm Lady Dorothy Brownlee. It's your voice. You're the lady who fetched me last night, uh... Dressed up as, as a beggar woman. Yes, I am, Dr. Watson. Forgive me for being so mysterious at the time. Doubtless you have come to consult me regarding last night's unfortunate accident at the Amateur Mendicant Society. How did you know what the initials stood for, Mr. Holmes? Well, after hearing Dr. Watson's story of last night's happenings, the uh, connotation seemed obvious. Am I right? Perfectly. Mm-hmm. Last night, when Dr. Watson told us Julian was dead, we thought it was an accident. And now you think it is a uh, murder, eh? Lady Bromley... If you expect my help, there must be no more mystery. Just what is this amateur mendicant society? I'm afraid it'll be a little hard for you to understand our motives. We're a group of people, rather wealthy people, I suppose, who find pleasure in deliberately leading a seamy life disguised as beggars. We use the basement that you were in last night, Doctor, as our headquarters. We keep our beggars clothes there and change out of them before we go home. Mm, what a fantastic idea. What a futile, worthless way of spending your leisure time, Lady Brownlee. I suppose <laughs> it must seem so, Mr. Holmes. But we're curious to learn how the other half lives. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's a certain thrill in rubbing shoulders with the police. At least we do some good. Indeed. I should be interested to learn how. All the money we make as beggars we give to charity. Oh, do you really? And you feel that this gesture on your part absolves you from any responsibility to the real beggars whose livelihood you are impairing. I hadn't thought of it just like that. No. Then I suppose you won't want to help us. Oh, that's quite another matter, madam. As a professional detective, I cannot afford to be a moralist. Yes, I will investigate this case for you, though I warn you my fee will be an extremely high one. Money isn't important, Mr. Holmes, as long as we can solve Julian's death without bringing the police into the case. Lady Brownlee... Who is the dead man? The man you refer to as Julian? Julian Trapper, the poet. Oh, he was yes. the one who started our society. Mm-hmm, yes, I think I've read some of his work. Decadent. Distinctly decadent. Well, what makes you think that he was murdered, Lady Browner? Laughing you left last night, Dr. Watson. It was a terrible scene. You remember Sidney Holt? Oh, was he the big fellow who was so unpleasant to huh? Yes, that's the one. Oh, do I remember him? <laughs> he said that he saw Lord Cecil deliberately trip Julian as he came to the head of the staircase. Oh, Lord Cecil being, uh... Lord Cecil Dierenforth, son of the Earl of Mersham. Oh, yes. There was a bitter argument. Cecil accused Sidney of doing the same thing. Then they had a dreadful fight. It ended up with Cecil threatening to go to the police. So that's when we decided to send a telegram to you, Mr. Holmes. Oh, yes, yes, I see. So the proof of murder depends on such flimsy evidence as to whether the dead man fell or... Well, should we say, uh, was pushed? <laughs> what it seems like. Mr. Holmes, even though you don't approve... Please help us, won't you? Yes, Lady Brownlee, I will. Then you come back with me now to our headquarters? I shall join you within the hour. In the meantime, my old friend Dr. Watson can go with you. But Holmes, what can I do without you? You know my methods, old chap. Act accordingly. Oh, very yes, well, Mr. Holmes. But you promise you'll be there? I promise you that I will be there, madam. Thank you so much, Mr. Holmes. We'll be expecting you. Come on, Doctor. Well, I'll, I'll just get my hat and coat. Holmes, what are you up to? Go with her and ask no more questions. I shall join you within the hour. Holmes, there's a glint in your eye. I don't think you will believe her story. Of course I don't, Watson. Well, then what? Then go with it, old fellow, and keep your wits about you. The game's afoot. Back to tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure. The Amateur Mendicant Society, a group of wealthy eccentrics who pose as beggars, have come to Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson with a problem. One of their members has apparently been murdered, and the famous pair have been asked to investigate the killing. As we rejoin our story, Dr. Watson, still awaiting the arrival of the great detective, is cross-questioning three of the members at the headquarters of this unusual society. I'm that I don't find your stories very convincing. Oh, don't you now? Well, then suppose you stop asking questions until Sherlock Holmes gets here. He's the man we've engaged to settle this business, not you. We're paying for his services, not those of his assistant. Uh, Mr. Holmes asked me to conduct this preliminary investigation, my good man. I'm perfectly familiar with his methods. So keep a civil tongue in your head if you 
wants us to continue with his case. Well, I'm not answering any more questions till he gets here. Insufferable fuller. Uh, Lord Cecil, you say that you saw Holt deliberately trip the dead man as he came down the stairs last night. Yes, I did. Well, uh, where were you standing, sir? At the head of the staircase. Holt was beside me, and as Julian came by, he deliberately... Excuse me, please. Excuse me, number 11. Excuse uh, me. What is it? There is a strange man just come in. He is dressed as you when you work, but I do not remember to have seen him here before. He speaks very rough. Did he give the correct signal? Yes, and the password. He must be a new member. I suppose we better see him. Bring him in. Bad time for him to come here. Confound it. This way, please. Tommy, what nice place you got here. Yeah, what a nice place. Certainly do yourselves proud, don't you? Who are you, and how did you get in here? I'll give you a signal and a password, just like Julian told me to. Are you a friend of Julian? Of course I am. You got me to meet him here today. Who are you, really? Are we all friends here? Yes, you can talk freely. And permit me to introduce myself. I am Don Luis Jose Fernando de las Torres at your service. Why? Why do you want to join us? When Julian tell me about it, uh, well, it uh, tickled my, how you say, uh, my funny bone. <laughs> it is a so charming idea. I see another was of mendicancy. I suppose he's all right. Of course I'm all right. Now, where is Julian, please? He will uh, vouch for me. He's in the other room. Had an accident. An accident? Not a bad one, I hope. A very bad one. Dr. Watson, you better take him in there and break the news to him. Uh, Very well. Uh, Follow me, sir. This is terrible. Please, tell me what happened, Doctor. I'm afraid you must prepare yourself for a shock, sir. Your friend is dead. Dead? His neck was broken last night in some brawl. Yes, except that I do believe it was an accident, Watson. Holmes! Chiquato, Chiquato. But not quietly enough, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Come on, come back to the others and let all take a look at you. Come on, get moving, both of you. This isn't a pop gun in my hands. Sorry, Holmes, I gave the whole thing away. It's all right, old chap. Oh, Cecil! Dorothy! Come here. I want you to take a look at the great Sherlock Holmes. Walked into our trap just like any stupid policeman. I know I had to dress up to do it, though, Mr. Holmes. We were waiting for you here anyway, you know. Oh, I was well aware of that, Mr. Holt. You see, I knew I was walking into a trap. How did you know that, Mr. Holmes? Lady Brownlee, the story you brought to us today was so obviously a false one. Just as there is no amateur mendicant society. But who are they, Holmes? Go ahead, Mr. Holmes. Tell him. Let's see how much you really do know. Yes, go ahead. Why should I tell you what you already know? Go on, talk, if you know what's good for you. Oh, you're so persuasive, aren't you, Mr. Holt? Very well. Undoubtedly, Julian Trevor's death last night was an accident. You fetched the doctor, Lady Brownlee, a very natural move, and later discovered that the doctor in question was the old friend of Sherlock Holmes. Mm. We were all afraid that I would become interested in your unusual society, and so you invented that very thin story about the accident being a murder. You wanted to lure me here so that I could be disposed of, and you could all continue your nefarious works without hindrance. Well, now aren't we clever? What is our nefarious work, may I ask? Your password gave me a clue to the lanterns. By the French revolutionists. They strung the aristocrats up on the lampposts. Then again, the combination of curious costumes and a luxurious establishment in a low-class area posed another question. What political belief provides a common meeting ground for misguided aristocrats and dangerous commoners? And how did you answer that question? Oh, very simple, my dear sir. One word. Nihilism. Its doctrine of assassination and overthrow of government would find every chance of being put into practice by all of you at the forthcoming jubilee celebrations to be held here in London. And also would account uh, for your beggar's clothes. A beggar would have greater freedom of movement in a crowd than an ordinary person. You're a clever man, Mr. Holmes. Too bad you'll have to die. I'll get the rope. What are you going to do with him? Do? Give him a first-hand taste of nihilism, of course. He can't live. I know too much. You can't possibly do this, you know. The police will track us here. By the time the police get here, you and your friend Holmes will be blown to kingdom come. All right. Hands together, Mr. Holmes. That's it. Ah! Oh, mind that bandit wrist of mine, will you? It confounded us all. Oh, isn't that a shame now? Is this any better? Ooh. Tie up the doctor, Cecil, while I bind Holmes' legs. With pleasure. I can't go through with this. What do you mean, Dorothy? You can't go through with it. I just can't stand by and see two innocent men murdered. Don't be a fool, Dorothy. We can't let them live. They know too much. I don't care. If you go on with this, I'm going out for the police. Are you fool? <coughs> Tie her up as well, Cecil. Let me alone. Sit down there beside him. Go on. You're a 
devil business. Oh, shut up. Now, Mr. Holmes, I'm going to fetch a little invention. A little invention I'm sure you'll be interested in. Mr. Holmes, it's a pity you and your friend didn't learn to mind your own business. I'm afraid it's too late to teach an old dog new tricks. It's too late now, at any rate. Quite comfortable, Dr. Watson? Don't you speak to me, sir. You're a filthy traitor to your country. Oh, rubbish. Here we are. Example of Mikhail Petrov's mechanical genius. This bomb will blow the entire building sky high. The three of you with it. Now, I wind the time clock, so. And we'll set the fuse to go off in, in five minutes. It'll give us plenty of time to get away, so. Come on, Sidney, let's get out of here. Right. <laughs> Charming picture. Three of you bound hand and foot sitting beside each other on the sofa. <laughs> well, ta-da, Dorothy. Think of our cause during the five minutes. <laughs> and as for you, Mr. Holmes, and your friend, put red into bad rubbish. <laughs> Well, Holmes, this looks like the end. Right so, old chap. I blame myself. I hadn't been so infernally noisy when I recognized you. We wouldn't be in this mess. Wasn't your fault, old fellow. I think they suspected me anyway. I must say, it seemed to me that you told them a great deal more than was necessary about your suspicions. Surely you could have pretended ignorance. Oh, I suppose I could have done. I can't die yet. I'm not ready to die. Brownlee, courage. And by the way, was I right in assuming that your associates are nihilists? What they are. They're planning to assassinate the Prime Minister during the Jubilee celebration. Prime Minister, great heavens, Holmes, we've got to get free. Assuming some miracle happened, and we did get free, and your former associates were arraigned in court, would you testify against them? Oh, of course I would. But what chance is there of that? That devilish part, why doesn't it stop? It bothers you that much, Lady Barry. I'll stop it for you. Holmes, your hands are free. Of course they are, my dear fellow. The bandaged wrist I mentioned just now concealed a razor-edged blade. I cut through the ropes almost before our friends had left the room. Then why did you keep us in the suspense, Mr. Holmes? I wanted to be quite sure that you'd testify in the forthcoming trial, madam. There we are. That renders the bomb harmless. Ah! And that means that the police have sprung the trap that I set to your associates, Lady Brownlee. It's lucky for you that you uh, had a change of heart and prevented you from leaving us. Oh, Mr. Holmes, how could I ever thank you? Holmes, you had the place surrounded with police when you came in here. Of course I did, my dear fellow. Yeah, let me undo your ropes. No wonder you were so calm. <laughs> no wonder you told them so much. You wanted them to show their hands. Precisely, old fellow. And they obliged me most satisfactorily. They attempted our triple murder. They are self-confessed anarchists. And with the evidence of Lady Brownlee, I'm sure that we can put them where they all belong. Considering it's uh, barely noon, I think you'll agree, Watson... That is a very comprehensive morning's work. Doctor, tell the truth. Were you scared waiting for that time bomb to go off? Scared, my boy? I was so scared that to this day I can't stand being in the same room with a, a loud ticking clock. The clock seems to speak to me. Seems to say... This is the end. Tick-tock. This is the end. the clock ever speak to you like that? Oh, yes, Doctor. How did you know? What the clock say to you? Tick-tock. Petri took time to bring you good wine. Petri took time to bring you good oh, wine. Precious wheel. Oh, precious wheel. <laughs> you, you listen to your clock and I'll listen to mine. Gosh, Doctor, can I help it if I like to hear about Petri wine? After all, that Petri family really knows how to make good wine. And it's no wonder. They've been making wine ever since they started the Petri business generations ago, way back in the 1800s. And because the making of Petri wine is a family affair, well, they've been able to hand on down from father to son, from father to son, the skill and experience of each preceding generation. So naturally, when it comes to turning luscious, sun-ripened grapes into fragrant, delicious wine, well... You just can't beat the Petri family, because Petri took time to bring you good wine. And say, don't forget to take time to send for your Petri recipe calendar. It's free. Just write to Petri Wine, P-E-T-R-I, Petri Wine, San Francisco 26, California. San Francisco 26, California. This offer is intended to apply only in those states and other localities where its acceptance is permissible by law and regulation. 
And now, Dr. Watson, what adventure are you planning to tell us next week? Well, next week, Mr. Foreman, I'm going to tell you a story of old Vienna. The Vienna of sparkling lights, beautiful women, and lilting music. And of an extraordinary murder that takes place to the accompaniment of a Mozart sonata. Boy, that sounds like a thriller. I'll see you for sure next week. Oh, uh, oh, just a minute. Before I go, Mr. Foreman, I want to urge every registered nurse listening in to get all the facts about the Army Nurse Corps. The Army needs you, nurses, needs you desperately. They'll make you an officer at once and give you every chance to further your post-war careers. So if you're a registered nurse under 45, call at your local Red Cross chapter and get all the details. Or wire collect to the Surgeon General, U.S. Army, Washington, D.C. And if you can't qualify for the Nurses' Corps, see if you can't get into essential civilian nursing so that you can release a nurse who does qualify. To do something about it first thing tomorrow, won't you? Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure is written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and is based on an incident in the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story, The Five Orange Pips. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. Meanwhile, don't forget to take advantage of our offer of a free recipe calendar. Oh, the Petri family took the time to bring you such good wine. So when you eat and when you cook, remember Petri wine. To make good food taste better, remember... Pet, pet, Petri. This is Bill Foreman saying goodnight for the Petri family. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studios. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for Inner Sanctum next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time now for Inner Sanctum. Lipton Tea and Lipton Soups present Inner Sanctum Mysteries. This is your host to welcome you once again to the Inner Sanctum. Do come in and join our circle, but watch out you don't get double cross. <laughs> but, uh, oh, you're disturbed by those bodies dangling from the ceiling. Well, you know some people, they just die to come here. Then they hang around week after week and never say a word. <laughs> well, I have a theory about that, Mr. Host. Yeah, what's that, Mary? Maybe the reason they're hanging around is because they think we're going to serve refreshments later on. Hey, that could be, all right. You know, lots of folks are like that. And who can blame them? When there's good food ahead, they just won't leave. And that's especially true if there's a chance that Lipton tea is on the menu. Now, the reason for that is simply this. Lipton tea is tea at its delicious best. Because Lipton's has such grand, brisk flavor. In fact, brisk is the very word the tea experts themselves use to describe Lipton's full, hearty taste. You'll agree, I'm sure, the very first time you try it, for Lipton's is so lively and full-bodied and satisfying. Yes, it's that brisk flavor that makes more people buy and enjoy Lipton's than any other brand of tea in the world. So whenever you ask for tea, make sure you ask for Lipton tea. <laughs> And now, friends, draw close your chairs. If there are no faint hearts among us, we'll begin tonight's tale of terror. A story written especially for Inner Sanctum by Michael Sklar. Our star tonight is Santa Sotega, who plays the role of Elwood Fitch in You Could Die Laughing. We wanted to escape our problem, to forget about it, so we went to the movies. 
there was a doctor in the story, and every time he appeared on the screen, I remembered. Halfway through the picture, I, I couldn't sit there anymore. I nudged Catherine, and we got up and walked out. The street was cold and dark and empty. Elwood, what do you want to do now? I just want to go back home. All right, dear. Get in the car. Elwood, I I want to talk to you. All right, there's time for that. Please, dear, let's stop being silly about this thing. Let's face it. I am facing it. But you're not. Don't argue with me. For heaven's sake, don't you understand? The doctor said you only got a year to live unless we move to Arizona. Doctors are human. They can make mistakes. Not three, doctor. I don't care. Why are you so stubborn? Why are you so dead set against Arizona? You ought to know why, Catherine. Me? Yes, you. Because of me? Yes. I haven't given you much, Catherine, not even children. But I've been able to make a living. We've been able to get along. What would I do in Arizona without a job and without money? Elwood, slow down. I can still drive a car, Catherine. You're speeding. Let me alone. Passing through a red light. Elwood, that man crossing the street. Look out, you... Hi. Catherine. Did I? Yes. He's lying on the ground. Good Lord. He walked in front of the car. We've, we've got to help him. Is, is he? He's dead. Oh, hell. I didn't mean to do it. I couldn't help it. It happened so fast. Better call the police. Police? Well, you said he's dead. The police. Catherine, there's no one but us on the street. Nobody else saw it happen. What difference does that make? Get back in the car. Edward, are you suggesting I was speeding. I passed a red light. And now this. They'll arrest me. They'll put me on trial for manslaughter. But my... He's dead, isn't he? We can't help him. Won't do many good if I go to jail. But running away, leaving the body... Catherine, we've got enough troubles without this. We're going to get into the car and drive straight to the garage. I've got a year to live. And I'm not going to spend it in prison. Good evening, Mr. Fitch. Want me to put the car away for you? Yes. Show must have let out early, huh? We, we didn't stay to the end, Dan. I didn't care for the picture. Ah, them pictures. I always tell my wife. Say, what did you hit? Hit? Yeah, your front bumper. Blood on it. Oh. Oh. Uh, that, that blood. Uh, a, a dog ran in front of the car. Uh, do me a favor, Dan. Wash it off before you put the car away. Sure thing, Mr. Fetch. I didn't sleep well that night. Bad dreams, all mixed up. About doctors. But they all looked like the man lying on the street. And their faces were covered with blood. I woke up, exhausted. Breakfast is on the table, Edward. Uh, just a moment. That newspaper can wait. Your toast is getting cold. Oh, here it is. What are you looking for? The story. You mean... Last night? It's in the newspaper? Listen to this. Stenger, victim of hit-and-run driver. Body of Augie Stenger, underworld character, was discovered early this morning at the intersection of Broad and Main Streets. Police believe Stenger was the victim of a hit-and-run driver. <gasps> the, the front door? Yes. So you, you think it's, it's the police? I don't know. Get a grip on yourself. I'll see who it is. Morning. You, Mr. Fitch? Uh, yes. What can I do for you? I don't like to talk business on the front doorstep. Business? It's about last night, that accident. <laughs> what accident? Don't try to act innocent. I saw that hit and run. Now can I come <gasps> Let me handle this, Andrew. Who are you? My name is Chandler. I was sitting in my car last night at Broad Main Street... I saw the accident and I followed you home. Thought I ought to talk to you about it this morning. What do you want? The cops are looking for that hit-and-run driver. 
I'm the only guy that knows you're him. You ought to be worth something for me to keep my mouth shut. You want money? Yeah. Blackmail. Don't talk to him, Edward. Send him away. No, we can't do that, Catherine. He'd go to the police. But Elwood... Leave this to me. All right, Chandler. I'll give you the money. How much? Five hundred dollars. That's chicken feed. A thousand. Yeah, now you're talking sense. When do I get it? I'll give it to you now. It's in my coat pocket. Here. Here it is. You'll find exactly one thousand dollars in twenty dollar bills. Thanks. Now, get out of here. Now, wait a minute. Don't get nasty, Fitch. I'm doing you a favor. You got your money. Now get out. I'm going. But I'll be back. You call this the first installment. Elwood, where did you get that money you gave him? Money? Last night you said we couldn't go to Arizona because we had no money. You, you just gave that man a thousand dollars. Where'd you get it? I was ashamed to tell you. I took it from Stinger. Stinger? The man we hit. I put my hand inside his coat to see if his heart was beating. The money was in the inside pocket. Elwood, how could you? Don't look at me like that, Catherine. We've been married a long time. Long enough for you to know that I'm not a crook or a murderer. But to kill a man and then take his money. Try to understand. All day long I've been thinking. A year to live. A year to live. When you know you're going to die, it does something to you. You forget what's right and what's wrong. I thought with that thousand dollars and a few hundred we've got in the bank, I thought we might be able to go to Arizona after all. Well, the money's gone. Yes. Don't think about it anymore. How can I stop thinking? You heard what Chandler said. That thousand dollars is the first installment. He'll blackmail us out of everything we own. Shut the door, quick. Who is it, Catherine? Shut that door, Mrs. Fitch. You were here only yesterday. What do you want now? The cops are after me. You and me are on the same boat. What have you done? What do they want you for? Murder. Murder? You shouldn't have come here. I figured this place ought to make a pretty good hideout. No. You can't stay here. Who's going to stop me? I won't allow it, Elwood. I won't have this man in my house. All right, cut the squad. No. I stood a lot in you, Chandler, but... Stay away from him. Don't you dare touch him. Elwood! Elwood! Don't don't cry, Kat. I'm all right. Any more back talk, Fitch? No. Okay. I'm moving in. He took over the house. He used Catherine and me as servants. Treated us like dirt. There was nothing we could do about it. Just the three of us. Cooped up in that little house. We couldn't go out. Food and cigarettes were sent up from the store. Went on like that until Tuesday morning. Hush, Elwood. Chandler will hear you. He can't. He's in the bedroom. You're... You're going to give yourself up? I can't stand this anymore. I can't stand it. Well, do what you think is best, darling. I've made up my mind. Rather than put up with that man, I'd prefer to go to prison. I'll call the police right now. Hello, operator. Get me police headquarters. Got a pal at headquarters, Fitz. Hey, Chandler. I don't... Don't point that gun at me. Cancel that call. Oh, oh, all right. Hello, operator. Operator. Never mind that call to police headquarters. No, 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 nothing's wrong. Yeah. I, I just made a mistake. Thank you. You made your last mistake, Fitch. Imagine that black villain, Jack Chandler. First he blackmails Elwood, then he blackjacks him, and now he blackballs him from using his own telephone. You know what I'd do if I were Elwood? 
I'd apply for a writ of habeas corpus. That is, if Chandler doesn't turn Elwood into a corpus first. <laughs> Things do look bad for Elwood, I must admit, Mr. Host. My, what a lot of unpleasant surprises he's been having. Yes, and he's in for a lot more, Mary. Goodness. Well, right now, I'd much rather talk about pleasant surprises. Well, that's a lady's privilege, Mary. You go right ahead. A good instance of a pleasant surprise happened to me one of those glorious sunny days last week. Florence Perry and I drove out to the woods to gather spring wildflowers. But we'd scarcely reached the woods when the sky clouded over and in a few minutes we were chilled to the bone. Back to the car we hurried, figuring the whole afternoon was ruined. And it was then that Florence brought out that pleasant surprise I mentioned. A whole big thermos of heavenly hot Lipton tea. Well, we sat down and had ourselves a regular tea party right there in the woods. Suddenly everything seemed bright and cheery again. Lipton's had certainly saved the day with its bracing, cheery taste, its delightful, brisk flavor. The same thing happens so often with so many folks. Any time during the day, Lipton's is a pleasant, refreshing treat. Tea with a glorious, full-bodied tang that adds extra zest to every occasion. The reason? It's worthwhile remembering, friends. Lipton tea has brisk flavor. <laughs> Now, friends, let's get back to those lovely people, Jack Chandler and Elwood Fitch. Chandler the murderer and Elwood the hit-and-run driver. It's quite a pair. Together, they make a full house. A moment ago, Elwood tried to give himself up to the police, but Chandler caught him at the telephone. So, you were going to double-cross me, eh? No, I was only going to tell the police about myself. What do you suppose would happen to me when the cops came for you? I ought to kill you right now. Oh, no. You shut up. First thing I'm going to do is pull out that phone so you don't make no more calls at headquarters. Yeah. That settles the phone. Now stand up. What are you going to... The door. Can you see who it is through the window, Fitch? Yes. Take a look. But remember, I still got this gun. Don't try any tricks. It's a man. Recognize him? No. Now listen. Before you open the door, I'm taking your wife into the next room with me. I'll be able to watch you and hear every word you say. You know what I'll do to Mrs. Fitch if you double-cross me. Yes. Okay. Now answer the door. Mr. Fitch? Elwood Fitch? That's right. May I come in? Yes, of course. I'm Detective Farley from headquarters. Here's my badge. Mind if I ask a few questions? What about? Well, I've been assigned to the Stanger case. Familiar with it? I... I read about it in the newspaper. A hit-and-run driver. That's the case. What do you know about it, Fitch? Why, nothing. Are you sure? See, here, you, you don't... You think... and your wife went to the movies Friday night, correct? Yes, that's right. Did you drive straight to your garage from the movies? Why, uh, no, it wasn't a good movie, so we left early and went for a ride. Did you pass the corner of Broad and Main Streets? Uh, no. We went in the other direction. You're lying, Fitch. I've been checking garages for that hit-and-run car. Your garage man told me you brought your car in Friday night with blood on the bumper. I told him we ran into a dog. Don't make me laugh. Your story wouldn't hold up a minute if that fool garage man hadn't washed the blood off. Are you going to arrest me? I need evidence first. When I get it, I'll come back. Blood on the bumper. That cop is wise to you, Fitch. He he said he'd be back. Sure. He'll be snooping around looking for proof. Yeah, this is one heck of a hideout. I'm leaving. You're going away? Uh, glad of that, ain't you? Well, you got nothing to celebrate. What? What do you mean? I need time, plenty of time to get away from the city. I'm not going to leave you here to squeal to the cops as soon as I'm out of the door. We wouldn't tell the police. Yeah, I'm going to make sure you don't. I got one murder rap on me already. It might as well be three. Three? Elwood, he means... Listen, Chandler. I swear we won't tell. Why should we? Remember what you said. We're both in the same boat. The police are after me, too. You tried to double-cross me once before. I ain't taking any chances. Please, please. There's no use begging. It won't do no good. Well... 
When when are you going to do it? Before I go. Sometime after dark. The rest of that day was a nightmare. Chandler wouldn't let me separate from Catherine. Everywhere we went. Everything we did. He was always behind us with that gun in his hand. The gun. I had to take it away from him. He was much younger than I. Big and tough. But I had to try. I watched for my chance. It came late in the afternoon. He was lighting a cigarette. He put the gun down on the living room table while he felt in his pockets for a match. Both of us were the same distance from the gun. I made a dive for it. Hey, get away from that rod. No, let go. I killed you for this. Catherine. Help me. Grab his hand. Let go of me. Hold him, Catherine. Hang on, Tom. He's dead. I had to shoot him. I had to. Now what will we do? I don't know. What would he do if the positions were reversed? Call the police. No. The money. The money I gave him. The thousand dollars I took from Stenger. He still got it. It's ours again, Catherine. We're going to Arizona. Arizona. Don't you see? It's just like it was before he came. We'll take the money and we'll go to Arizona. But his body... He's a murderer. He said so himself. We'll put the body into the car, drive out to the suburbs and leave it on the highway. The police will think it was just another gangster murder. I was just able to squeeze the dead body into the luggage compartment. Hurry, Elwood. Let's get away before one of the neighbors sees us. Oh, my gosh. Now what's the matter? The gasoline gauge. It's almost empty. We'll have to stop at the garage. I drove back to the garage. Had Dan fill the tank and paid him with one of the $20 bills I'd taken from the body of Stenger. Dan gave me a queer look as he brought me the change. Here you are, Mr. Fitch. 13 gallons out of a $20 bill. Thanks, Dan. Oh, uh, by the way, did a detective come around to your house the other day? Yeah, yes, he did. <laughs> I, uh, I hope you don't hold it against me telling him about that blood on the bumper of your car. Oh, of course not, Dan. Why should I? After all, I had nothing to hide. Oh, no, that's right. Well, you know, to tell you the truth, Mr. Fitch, I, I was a little suspicious of you. I, oh. I thought you really might be that hit-and-run driver. Not that it matters much now. No? No, no. The police don't care much now about that driver. Why not? Oh, he's small potatoes now. I just heard over the radio that uh, that guy Stenger was just about dead even before that hit-and-run driver hit him. Hey, How could that be? Well, uh, the way the radio explained it, Stenger was shot in the back, and uh, he staggered out into the street, and then the car hit him. But you said he wasn't killed by the car. That's right. The coroner's inquest showed that he, he died of a bullet wound. He'd been murdered. The police even know who killed him. They, they know the killer's name? Uh-huh. I heard it over the radio just a minute ago. Oh, yeah, um, Chandler. Jack Chandler. <laughs> I don't remember driving away from the garage. It kept going around in my brain. Chandler had murdered Stenger. Catherine and I had run away from a crime we hadn't committed. No wonder Chandler had seen the accident. No wonder he feared the police. And now he was dead. His body packed into the luggage compartment of the car. Elwood, you're not listening to me. What? Oh, I, I I was thinking about Chandler. That's what I was talking about. If he killed Stenger, why can't we go to the police and confess everything? Because we killed Chandler. Which was self-defense. Would the police believe that? They'd have to believe it. Even if they did, it would be murder in the third degree. They'd learn about the thousand dollars. I'd be held for trial. We'd never get to Arizona. No, Catherine. We've got to go through with our original plan. Edward, that siren... It's a police car behind us. What are you going to do? They may not be after us. If they do stop us, let me do the talking. Hey! Over! Stop that car! 
Don't be afraid, Catherine. I'll handle it. Uh-huh. Middle-aged man and woman. You answer the description, all right. Name Fitch? Yes. What's the trouble, officer? There's an alert out for you. You bought gas back at your garage a few minutes ago. Paid for it with a $20 bill. That's right. Got any more of those bills on you? Why, yes. And I'm over. Here. Here they are. Uh-huh. Looks like it's all here. This is the stuff, all right. What stuff? What are you talking about? This money. It's counterfeit. Just like the bill you gave the garage man. Counterfeit? Phony money down to the last dollar. Move over. We're driving to headquarters. Well, that's the story, Detective Farley. You'll find Chandler's body in the back of my car. Willing to put your signature to this confession, Mr. Fitch? Yes, I'll, I'll sign it. Oh, you could have saved yourself a lot of grief. I know you were the hit-and-run driver when I came around to your house. But I needed the proof, and you gave it to me when you broke one of these phony $20 bills. Did you know then about the money? Sure. Stinger had a long record as a counterfeiter. His girl told us he was carrying $1,000 in bad money the night he was killed. Naturally, when we didn't find the money on his body, we knew it had been taken by the hit-and-run driver. And the blood on the bumper of your car was the giveaway. Well, now that you've caught me, what's going to happen to me? Well, it depends on the jury. You might get 20 years. Might get life imprisonment. You might even get acquitted. I'm in the courtroom now. Catherine beside me, waiting for the decision. The jury just filed in. The judge has asked if they reached a verdict. The foreman of the jury is rising to his feet. Your Honor, we find the defendants not guilty. Oh, 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 oh. Catherine. Oh, Edward, thank heaven. I don't know whether to laugh or cry. Oh, darling, you were right in the very beginning. Money or no money, we're going to Arizona. Well... <laughs> Fooled you that time, friend. Slipped you a happy ending when you weren't set for it. But that jury decision, I don't know, it sounded a bit fitchy. <laughs> but seriously, friends, do you like happy endings? I don't, but then some people do. You know, someday, just to make sure, I'm going to have some research organization take a gallows pole. Well, Mr. Host, that seems a lot of trouble to go to when there's plenty of proof right in front of your nose that says people love happy endings. And what is that proof, Mary? It's the way thousands and thousands of families every day top off delicious meals with delicious Lipton tea. There's a real happy ending for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, folks. Try it and see. In fact, so that you won't forget it, add Lipton tea to your grocery list right now, this very minute. It's the world's favorite tea, and you're always sure of getting tea at its tastiest when you get Lipton's. Because remember, Lipton tea has that marvelous brisk flavor. A parting word of advice, friends, drawn from the experiences of Elwood Fitch. If your wife wants you to take a trip... Don't argue. No, don't pretend. Simply bash her on the head and deliver her to the police. You can always say she tripped. <laughs> oh, yes. This month's Inner Sanctum mystery novel is I Hate Blondes by Wolf Kaufman. And next week, the makers of Lipton Tea and Lipton Soups will bring you another Inner Sanctum story directed by Hyman Brown and called Screams in the Night. Of course there'd be lots of screams The kind you like Blood-curdling And there's the usual triangle 
A man, his wife, and another girl. But the joker is, he who grafts best gasps last. Don't get it? <laughs> and for the details, better be listening to Inner Sanctum next week. Mm. Until then, good night. Pleasant dreams. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Duffy's Tavern, followed by the Screen Guild Theater. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.